I often describe it as the railwayman's control box. There are a, a thousand levers in this room. How is the average business owner supposed to know which levers to pull today? You're listening to the Catching Clients podcast, where the smartest minds from the world of professional services and marketing come and share the strategies that they use to consistently attract and catch their ideal big fish clients so you can learn to do the same. So grab your gear and join me, Adam King, the captain at Think Like a Fish and creator of the client catching ecosystem, and let's go fishing. Hello and welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Now today my guest is Bob Gentle, who is the Managing Director of Amplify, where he's worked with a range of businesses from corporate and uh, SME clients to solo practitioners to help them leverage digital marketing so that they can stand out, reach new heights and new revenues. Now today he specializes in the oil and gas sector as he's developed an understanding of the unique challenges faced after seeing it firsthand really through his, his family's deep connections in the industry. And Bob's been, he's been leading creative and digital teams for 20 years and delivering winning campaigns for both big and small business in that time. And living a short distance from the Scottish Highlands, uh, Bob's also a fellow snowboarder. So I'll try not to get too distracted by that little fact and keep the conversation focused on business. So um, Bob, welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Adam, thank you very much for having me. It's a very novel experience to be on this side of the microphone yeah, uh, so one thing I didn't mention there, Bob, is that you also have your own podcast, don't you? Yes, and to be honest, I'm much more comfortable as the host. So, yeah, be gentle on me. <laughs> and and that wasn't a play on words, and I'm sure you've heard <laughs> that a million times, so I'm not going to yeah, go. Probably. I shouldn't have gone there. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, I get the same thing uh, a lot with my second. I, I guess so. Those ones out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Bob, I've given a bit of a, a, a sort of a, an overview of your background, but why don't you sort of tell us of the kind of journey you've been on to um, to get where you are today, and 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 really why you've you now focus on a, on a specific um, industry or niche? Okay, I'll do, I'll do that, and I'm going to go back quite far to start to start with my journey with the web. It really started probably 1998 or so. Um, I was dabbling with the internet through things like CompuServe and AOL and playing with websites, and I really enjoyed it. And I was looking what I was going to do with my career because I'd spent a long time on the technical side of IT, working with companies like Apple and IBM with being their clients, their corporate clients back then, look after their computers and learn how to use them and things like that. And I, I loved them. I love computers, but I never really felt that there was an application for me. Um, but when the web came along, it was like I'd come home. I really, really enjoyed it. And I realized very quickly I could build a business and have an impact on people's businesses through web design at the time. Um, so over the years, I built up a very good web design business. Um, at one point, I employed about 15 people, which up in my neck of the woods was pretty much as big as it got in terms of web design. Um, and then over the last four or five years of that incarnation of the business, if you like, we built quite a good digital marketing business alongside the web design business but the digital marketing was always supplemental to the web design and i was getting more and more frustrated with the business and realized one day that the web design side of things was really becoming a millstone that i was chasing my tail all the time trying to make any money with the websites because it's really difficult to just differentiate yourself um, and the digital marketing side of things was being really held back or constrained by the the amount of attention 
the website side of things needed. And if you can imagine trying to apply the 80-20 rule, 80% of the revenue was being generated by the digital marketing work, but it was getting 20% of the attention. So I came to the point after trying just about everything to avoid it of saying, you know what, I'm going to stop doing the websites. Um, there was a process involved there of sort of gradually making people contractors and saying, well, I'll try and do them in different ways. But what happened in the end was I just said, no more websites. We'll focus on digital marketing. And that had a really powerful effect on me in that it was a little bit like climbing out of the trenches after 15 years of being super competitive. And if you can imagine, uh, I mean, you come from the creative industries as well, so you'll understand this a little bit. Um, when you're working predominantly on websites, it's entirely project revenue driven. There are little bits of residual income that you can generate through things like web hosting or uh, maintenance and things like that. But the majority of your revenue is project led. So that means you constantly on this hamster wheel of sales so there's very little time to really go deep on anything so when i freed myself from that i suddenly was in a position where i could a really look at how can i focus on quality and b okay i'm i'm no longer in this super competitive mindset i used to be in and i can now focus on actually building relationships with people who i probably have more in common with than anywhere else mm. and that's my competitors or my perceived competitors at the time. And this, and I, I pardon the ramble, but this is all important context for me. I was forced by fluke of circumstance to be sitting with a guy who'd been my nemesis probably for most of my commercial career. And I'd never spoken to him. For me, to me, he was the devil. And we got talking and realized we had a ridiculous amount in common mm. to the point at which like, it was silly. He was a retained firefighter. I was doing search and rescue as a Coast Guard volunteer. He surfed, I surfed with the same age. Um, like he was proper best friend material. Um, and I started running some events up in my area for the creative industries and thoroughly enjoyed it. And that eventually led to me starting the podcast and looking at, well, how can I maybe build a business around coaching digital marketing business owners rather than just being a digital marketing business owner? So I started the podcast loved it. I learned an awful lot about what I was doing wrong in my business, rebanded my business, retuned the business and retooled it. And now I'm back running a digital marketing business that I really, really enjoy. So that's a very long answer to your question. What you've sort of described there, I think, has so many elements of the story that a lot of people go through when they decide to start their own business. It's not a straight path. You'll start with one thing and it will evolve. There's ups and downs. You have to learn so many different things when you when you sort of leave that perceived comfort of the corporate world and, and start on your own. And I, th I think there's a lot of people out there that will, will identify with that story. And, and and there's so many things in there as well that I found incredibly interesting and, and specifically around how you identified your devil competitor, the guy that you're, you're supposed to hate and or not hate. That's a strong word, but you know what I mean? It's it's. And you actually were able to identify, well, actually, my competition can be a source of, of actual, uh, you know, um, collaboration. And that's something that I don't think everybody always comes around to because that's, it shows that there's an abundance mindset in there and it's not all on sort of scarcity and, and how you've managed to sort of go on this journey, change perspective, pivot as you go based on what you're seeing happening and for the fact that you started with websites and at the time, I'm sure it was incredibly um, 
you know, there, there was, there was a lot of ways that you could sort of do things differently. Whereas now everybody's got a website and theoretically you can make one yourself, which is not necessarily the best idea, but you know, you could do it. I think the challenge was for a lot of my target audience, the target market, go back 15 years. If you wanted to promote your business online, a website was pretty much the only option you have. Whereas now there's so much complexity to the online ecosystem. And I really want to help my clients put all of that together. And that's really where, where I've found myself now. And I think that's where I bring unique value for my clients is helping them structure and coordinate all of the various things they can put on, put together online. It's a little bit like I often describe it as the railwayman's control box. There are a, a thousand levers in this room. How is the average business owner supposed to know which levers to pull today? Mm. My job is to help coordinate that. Absolutely. Because there's, you know, thousands of things you could do, but only a handful of things that you should do. Yeah. Because you've only got certain, you know, you've only got a certain number of hours in a day. You've only got so much resource. And quite frankly, you've only got a certain amount of energy to actually do it. Yeah. Um, so where do you think websites now fit in to that ecosystem that you described? Do you think they are still a vital thing to have? Or do you think that you could, you know, you could now effectively get away with not even having one for your business? I think for a lot of businesses, I would struggle to say you could get away without any web presence. And by that, I do mean a website. And for many businesses, one page may be all you need. But that moment somebody Googles you, you really want to control what happens at that point. And having a, at least a landing page that's got a carefully crafted or curated um, impression of you will have an impact on your conversion. And I don't care how people find you. It may be that all your business is through referral, but the website's going to have a, an impact on that, the journey of that referral. Um, I would say if somebody said to me, oh, you need to go speak to this guy, Alex, I'm not, and it doesn't really matter who's referred me, going to say, Alex, 100%. At face value, if you tell me that's the guy, that's the guy I'm going to go and see. The very first thing I'm going to do if I am in the market for what you do is just Google you. So if I, th I think having a basic website ref respects that referral journey. Well, that's a bit of credibility, doesn't it? If yeah. you're going to say you're in business, if you don't have a website now, it's almost like, well, I can't trust this person because they're not even willing to you know, hang their sign on the door, which is effectively what a website is in a way. Yeah. But I do think if you look at the whole discovery process or trying to man manage your discoverability, it's often a little bit of a rabbit hole people go down and think website search engines. This is really what I need to focus on, where actually you may do far better going deep on Instagram or going deep on LinkedIn. Because these are this is where people are, so focus on building your discoverability there, rather than um, what for a lot of people. If you're in a competitive industry like tourism or finance, forget it. You're never going to compete on Google, so don't go spending thousands and thousands of pounds on your website. So, what would you then say to someone if if, if they came to you and, and and let's say they you know, they are starting or they have you know been in business for for, for a year or so and uh, you know they're selling a service um they're either selling their expertise or their advice or something like that and and they came to you and said look i i want some help with my digital marketing what would you suggest is 
the best way for me to start? Well, the answer would really depend on who you are in the context of what I would say, because as you mentioned, I work in the energy sector. So that's oil and gas and renewables. That's one end of the spectrum of the clients I work with, where they're really looking for a done for you service. But I'm going to take the other side of what I do, which is more sort of micro businesses and small business in order to answer the question, because I think it's probably more relevant. In that situation, the first thing I'll ask is what's already working and have you really tapped that out? Because if you tell me that most of your work is coming through referral, I'm not going to say, well, you need to go straight into search engines because I'll qualify this with a story, actually. I remember when I was starting my business and I was thinking, how am I going to do prospect? How am I going to find business? Because I don't come from a sales background. I'm not an extrovert. And I found things like networking events physically painful. I got over it. But my dad told me the story. He used to look after engineering for a company that has a big fleet of exploration oil rigs, go out at sea and drill wells and hopefully some oil will come out. And they used to buy rubber seals for pipes and they bought them from company A and they bought this, these rubber seals from the same company for years and years and years. And there was another guy who wanted the work and every week he would come to the warehouse and he would say, do you need any rubber seals? They said, no, no, we're all right. We get them from that guy. And one day the rubber seal order didn't arrive. The guy who came trying to get the business, every week he would bring a box of biscuits and that got people's attention. Um, so they all knew who he was, but there was no habit of use, but he was the guy they knew. So as soon as the other supplier let them down, the very first thing was they called the guy they knew. And my dad was clear, you need to be the guy people know. These days, there's lots of ways that you can achieve being the guy people know. Google is one, YouTube is one, Instagram is one, LinkedIn is one. Pick one and really go deep on it and focus on building your personal brand, especially if you're in the service business. People need to know who you are. Don't hide behind your logo. Don't use the corporate way. Do the very uncomfortable thing and say, this is who I am. I'm really visible and own it. And say so that would be my, again, rather long-winded answer. No, it completely makes sense. And when you sell a service, there's trust involved. You have to, as you say, be the guy that people know. You know, people have to know, they have to like, and they have to trust you. And the only way that they get through that all of those stages is by yes first of all knowing you and liking you with the things that they see from you and trusting you but not just trusting that you can do what you say you can do but trusting that you'll show up for them regularly again and again yeah and provide value it's it's like the guy with the biscuits i think that's a fantastic story because that is so old school but the principles that exist within that it works as much today online as, as anything that's the important part is that wasn't sort of relationship selling at scale. That was relationship selling person to person. But actually, now we have the ability to do that at scale. And that's brand new. And that really is the answer to the question is doing that at scale through, through as you say, showing up. There's another story, um, and I can't remember exactly who said these things to me, but they've always stuck with me. I was at an event and somebody asked the question, what's the next big thing in digital marketing? And there were two answers. Number one was courage, that the person who actually steps outside their comfort zone and lingers there will win. And the other answer was, whatever it is you actually execute on, because you can have all the tools, tactics, techniques in the world, but execution trumps everything. So many people get bogged down in the most intricate 
plans and strategies, but they never execute. And even as the executing on a very simple idea consistently will probably outperform the person with the most grandiose plan. I mean, I find that maybe a lot of times because of the abundance of options that people have, especially now when it comes to digital marketing and, you know, I'm sure that you get a lot of this when people come to you to talk about it. Maybe they have preconceived ideas about what they want and what they need. Whereas actually it's, you know, as you've touched on just before, it's, well, you don't need to go down that road because you're not maximizing what you're doing that's working well now. All you need to do is transfer it into a, a slightly different um, way of using the same strategy because a lot of businesses while they think they're focusing on growth, they're not actually focused on growth. They're focused on the tactics. I think that, you know, the business world in general, the marketing world, the sales world, all that kind of thing, it's oversaturated with tactics and things that you can do. But what there isn't the focus on, because it doesn't quite have the same sexiness attached to it, is the strategy. Because I think the right strategy will replace a thousand tactics as long as it's executed consistently well over time because that's one of the biggest challenges when it comes to any of these things if you're spread so thin with all these various tactics and ideas you're not going to do it consistently and that means that you're not going to have the impact in one area and you touched on it as well it's getting focused and doing one thing very very well and being known as the guy that shows up and i think there's so much in that so Bob, what i want to quickly do is just go to a quick break and then we'll uh, we'll come back and we'll pick your brains a lot more Hey, this is Adam and I just want to say thanks for listening and I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Client Catching Podcast. Now, as the entire goal of this is to help you learn how to attract and catch more clients, I've put together a page as a special thank you for being a listener to the show. On this page, you're going to find a ton of resources from some of my best trainings that I've put out there. Uh, You'll be able to get a copy of my book, How to Employ a Half a Million Pound a Year Marketing Department Without Hiring a Single Full-Time Member of Staff. You'll be able to see how to join the Catching Clients Facebook community. And you'll also be able to register onto my masterclass, Less Selling More Clients. Now, on this masterclass, you will learn how to build your very own client catching ecosystem. And that's an ecosystem that removes you from up to 90% of your marketing and sales process, instantly boosts your authority, while at the same time increases the quality of leads, appointments and clients that you attract and catch. And that's all without spending a penny on advertising and we're adding more hours to your week. So if you want to go and see what's on that page, you can go to www.thinklikeafish.co.uk slash podcast gift. So thanks again for listening. And now let's get back to the show. Okay, so welcome back. Now, Bob, um, something that you touched on there was uh, at the beginning was how in your journey that you went from being quite sort of broad and generic to becoming more specific around a certain type of client and industry. And in our circles, we call that niching or getting very specific on, a, on an ideal avatar or something like that. But how, how did you find that process of really digging down into that niche? And, and what did you learn from it? I found it really, really painful. And it probably took me about six, seven months. And again, there's, there's a story. I started my podcast probably about six, seven months ago. And like a lot of things in life, they never quite go the way you think they're going to go. And it's often the things that you think you've been clever with end up being the biggest teachers. When I started the podcast, 
it was really because I was fed up with my agency business and I was looking at the podcast and a bit of a coaching business around it as potentially a, a way out of running my own agency, just a pivot away from being an agency. And through the podcast, uh, and my podcast is really designed for digital marketing industry insiders. So people like you are my podcast guests and audience. But I got to speak to some of the best in our industry and themes and threads came out of there. One of which is specialization is incredibly important and the most productive, profitable people in our space specialize. And they do it in one of three main ways. They specialize in a geographic area, which sounds silly. That's not really specializing, but some people do that. The people who do that well are incredible systems and they productize and deliver packages. The second way people can specialize is in a technical specialism, SEO or AdWords or Instagram. So they, they focus on one thing. Another area of specialism is specializing in a vertical market. And that's the route I ultimately went down. Now, I also run some coaching groups for traditional micro businesses. And the same themes were coming out there. You need to specialize. And it gets to the point where if you're not taking your own medicine, it's really, really obvious. And I had a podcast guest, and this is where, where it finally came home to me. On his LinkedIn profile, it said, the UK's leading expert in Facebook ads. And I asked him, are you okay for me to introduce you as the UK's leading expert in Facebook? And he said, yeah, yeah, go for it. And I thought, wow, that's a bit confident and possibly a little bit um, cocky, but okay. And then I came away from that interview and I thought, okay, let's have a look at LinkedIn. So, and this seven months I've been looking at this and within five minutes I'd settled on the UK's leading digital marketing consultant for oil and gas. And I wrote it knowing it felt really, really cocky. But once I wrote it, I realized, hang on, it's not just cocky, it's actually true. So I hit save and publish. And that was my pivot into a vertical market. Once I'd done that, I knew exactly where I needed to network. I knew exactly the kind of podcast I should launch next. I knew who should be a guest. I knew exactly what we would be talking about. I knew the kind of ads I needed to produce. I knew the kind of lead generation or opt-ins I needed to look at. I knew the kind of virtual summits I should be running. I'd separated myself from being a digital marketer to the guy because I'm now in a category of one. There's only one Bob Gentle, UK's leading expert in digital marketing for oil and gas. The moment that happened, I really literally slapped my forehead because it seemed so obvious in retrospect, but it really isn't. The power of specialization suddenly means you know exactly who you need to be and you need to know who you need to be that guy for. And until you do specialize in that way, you won't really understand how powerful it is. It's all down to simplification, isn't it? Because yeah. what I've heard you describe there is it's a freeing up of so much mental clutter in the, well, today I could go out and help anybody do digital marketing and thinking like, well, how in the hell am I going to reach all of these people and, and convince them that I'm the guy to, well, actually now I know I am the specialist in this vertical and I know where they hang out. I know their pain problems. I know what their challenges are and I know how to solve them. I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone. Um, I call it eating my own dog food. I didn't <laughs> do that for a long, long time. I didn't use the, the marketing that I create for clients. I didn't build the systems for, for myself that I did for clients. And I had that forehead slapping moment as well when I just realized what on earth am I doing? And I went through a very, very similar experience. And I think there's so many people that go through a similar thing. And 
I think they have to be ready for it. And I think there is some value in when you first start trying a lot of different types of clients, verticals, industries, just to know what you as an individual like doing and the types of people that you like working with. But maybe if, you know, if you listen to this and, and at the moment you're, you know, you're going through that sort of situation where you're working with a lot of clients that are difficult and you're not enjoying working, maybe this is the time to step back and, and really look at the type of messaging that you're putting out and then look at whether or not that is specific enough to, tr to attract the right kind of clients that you enjoy working with. You know, if you had to give a 200% guarantee, you know that you could help that person because you enjoy working with them. You know how to fix their problem, whatever you do, whether it's marketing, financial advice, accounting, whatever it is, then you're going to be able to really pick and choose it and attract them and become the guy to help that type of person. Because unless you do that, you are then essentially thrown into that red ocean with everybody else trying to go after the same sorts of clients. That's when you end up being a commodity and, and you are, let's be honest, you're judged on, on the price. Yeah. And that was, there were two reasons I selected the sort of energy space. Um, one is I'm in Aberdeen and Aberdeen is the European hub for the energy sector. Some people in Norway might argue with me, but I would have that argument. So I know it really, really well because of where I am. So if you were in my city, you would find lots of people, general marketers, and it seems kind of counterintuitive to say, well, I, I focus on this industry. And the reason they wouldn't do it is because you feel like you're excluding everybody else. The reality is you're not, because when most of your work comes through referral anyway, you get what comes. This, this is the perverse thing. What's the value that I bring? The value that I bring to a bed and breakfast is maybe a 5 to 10% uplift in a £25 a night sale. Put that against a 5 to 10% uplift in a company where, company where one sale is £500,000. My value to that company is that much greater. So they're not complaining about budgets anymore. And I can do an awful lot more with a lot less because my, my rate is that much higher for that kind of client it's, it's so, the old 80 uh, 20 thing again isn't it that you sort of identified at the start it, you know it's so one way that you could look at you know how to select the type of clients you work with is look at what you do look at the impact that that has and maybe that that impact is the same sort of percentage uptick in improving whatever it may well be but that percentage has a much bigger value to somebody who is a type of person than it does to to somebody else and I think that what you've also done is in your business as well is you haven't sort of looked at that and gone, all oh, right, then I'm going to, I'm going to leave all the other people that can't afford those sorts of prices behind because you've started to look at how you can offer a different type of service to those types of business, which is the coaching side of it. Isn't that right? Yeah. I mean, the Amplify Pathfinder groups, that's really a, a hybrid coaching and training program. So there are tailored elements of it but it's not a done for you service at all. Um, what I found particularly with very small businesses is it's very easy to sell digital marketing to them as a done for you service, but the reality is it shouldn't be done that way. Um, if you can imagine, probably the most frustrating experience I had was selling a, I think it was a four or 500 pound a month digital marketing package leading with social media marketing to a reasonable size electrical contractor. And I thought, I was really clever when I sold this, but very, very quickly realized they had nothing to talk about. So leading with social media was a big mistake. Now, it wasn't that the stories weren't there. It's just they were looking for a done-for-you service. Well, I'd sold it rather than they were looking for it. 
And so the expectation was on me to deliver their social media. So their willingness to participate was gone. Whereas now I'm leading with the consultancy. Um, and if a client isn't willing to participate in that, the first qualification hurdle has fallen. Um, so yeah, productizing differently for different kinds of customer, that's been very, very helpful. It used to be everything was bespoke for everybody. Now, if, it, if it's not on the table, you can't have it. Yeah, and it, and it does make complete sense as well because when somebody sort of thinks right done for you, it is literally absolutely everything done for you where the reality is that you still need to have some kind of input because ultimately it's your business, it's your message, it's your reputation that is being sort of done for you, if, if that makes sense. And it's not the most empowering way to show up for a client because they become a, very, very reliant on you. What happens if the business closed down or you know you get hit by a bus or something like that? Then there's no knowledge transfer. I think that there is such a demand and a need and a desire for help with digital marketing because it is so complicated. Yeah. Sometimes the easy thing is just, oh, just someone else do it for me. But it's actually the most valuable thing is to learn how to do part of it yourself so that at least you know, you, <laughs> when you talk to someone about doing it for you, you're not getting rolled over a barrel and promised things that are not, are not going to actually happen. Yeah, a real validation for me was I'd started to talk about this sort of done with you service with my clients um, in the email marketing that goes out to my modest email list. And I got a phone call from a former client who we did a website for going back maybe six, seven years. I thought he hated me, but he phoned me up and he said, Dan, these, these amplifier groups I see you talking about online, tell me about that. And I jokingly said, are you tempted? And he said, yeah, I think I need that. He didn't. What he needed was actually a one-to-one -one service because he's, he's a decent-sized business and he, he can't wait for a 10-month process. He needs action right now. But that's really my product range now. It is the, the, the coaching groups, a one-to-one -one hybrid coaching and technical support service, I would call it. And then the higher-end done-for-you stuff for the, for the larger clients. But at every stage, it's a very well-leveraged service. It's very profitable now, both from a financial perspective, but also in terms of a, an input output perspective. Everything's worth doing, if you can see what I mean. There's no over-servicing anymore. I um, interviewed Greg Hickman a few episodes back, and, and, and he very much specializes in helping people do exactly what you've said there, productize a service in one way or another, whether it's done with you, with sort of consulting, training, and online learning, or whether it is you take a very specific outcome or result and you put a process to deliver that for somebody and he believes that that pretty much any any business that sells a service has the ability to do that because yeah it's leverage there's so many opportunities with digital marketing as well and i think that when you say digital marketing people naturally go to the whole advertising the facebook side of things and all the rest of it whereas actually so much behind it that you can do in a way that leverages your time and your resource, but also leverages the, the service that you offer, the satisfaction, all of that sort of thing. And we don't always necessarily put the two together. For me, this is the key point that in marketing, everybody thinks they jump straight to promotion. But if you, if, if you go on any kind of marketing course, they'll tell you about the five Ps. I can't remember exactly what they all are, but the first one is product. And now I start with product because, for example, if you are a photographer, if you've always been a photographer, you do a bit of photography and videography and you come to me, I'm not going to start with, well, 
we need to look at Facebook ads or Google ads or need to work on some SEO or, hey, let's talk about Instagram. It's going to be, okay, well, what do your packages look like? And what does your product ladder look like? Are you going from opt-in to a kind of done-for-you service? But have you maybe considered online training? Or have you considered a sort of real-life training? Or perhaps you could have a membership site for people who want to get comfortable turning the camera the other way around and doing selfies and things like that. It's not all about just carry on doing what you've always done. It's about, yeah, your productizing, your positioning, then start looking at promotional type activities. Oh, yeah, I remember the whole five P's from when I did my <laughs> CIM back in the day. And I think it's, yeah, product, price, promotion, place, and people, I think. And that, that can encompass so many different things. You don't think, for example, about your people, part of your marketing mix. Whereas actually your people are, there's some of your potential best sources of of business because you run a company that has a, a good number of staff. Just think about all the people in all those different people's network. Do you have, you know, an employee engagement program, which, you know, incentivizes them to be involved in creating the marketing around the business and, and actively sort of going out there and, and promoting it? I think also this kind of brings things back to the beginning for me a little bit that most people in service industries, if you ask them, and actually this has been interesting for me on my podcast, because this is a question I always ask, how people have come about their work. And even those in digital marketing will typically tell me it's 70% referral. So it's really important for people to recognize that probably the biggest impact digital marketing can have is actually on that referral side of things. So one of the most effective things to do is just more of you, but bigger. Another thing I was going to talk about, when it comes to specializing, particularly niching in a vertical market, it's very scary because the moment you do it, you're saying no to so many people. It feels like that anyway. But just about everyone I've spoken to has spoken about the sort of transformation that it's had. One of the problems, and I don't know if you've ever been to any of these sort of traditional face-to-face -face networking events, but when you ask for a specific referral in a standard networking event, if, if you say, I want to speak to anyone who needs such and such, nobody's going to know them. But if you ask to speak to a specific person in a room full of 20, 55, 40 people, there's a good chance somebody's going to know that person. And that translates very well when you specialize in a vertical market. You suddenly become very, very easy to refer. Uh, and I found that surprising. People on the other side of the world now, I know that they're the guy to go to for the thing. So I'll refer them before somebody I know in my own area. Yeah, it's amazing the amount of um, power that it that it has beyond what you might necessarily just think. I had a yeah a, a couple of guys on on the show as well, and they are experts around referrals, and they say a very very similar thing. It's about you have to be able to communicate first of all the exact type of person that you know you know you can help, but also you have to be able to communicate the value that you offer to that type of person so that they can put the two together, and also train people almost in a what you know in what to look out for in a conversation i think it was um, mark jarvis that's uh, that was the guest and he said they have to be able to solution you in you know that message has to be clear enough for them to be able to repeat and memorable enough to, for, for them to repeat when when that person ends up having that conversation and, and popping you popping into their head yeah i, I think specializing and, and becoming very very clear on the message that you put out in the world and becoming very specific with it, it has so many benefits that it's like the ripples in a pond. They, they just radiate out and out and out until they touch all sides. So before I let you go, if you had to sort of 
do everything, start all over again. What's, what's the one strategy that you would use in order to go out and, and win your first, first few clients? Well, that's an interesting one. I think the first few clients are disproportionately difficult. Um, but if I was honest, the simple answer would be grow a pair and hit the phone, get meetings. Now that's not very digital, but if you want an honest answer, what's going to get you clients fast, it's going to be relationships. So focus on relationships first. And if that means some cold calling and getting some meetings, then do that. And I think, yeah, this is the, this is the correct answer. You need a short-term solution, you need a medium-term solution and a long-term plan. Focus on all of those three first. The short-term is going to be prob probably some Google ads, Facebook ads, or actual face-to-face -face meetings. A medium-term solution is going to be come up with a content marketing plan that involves you being visible. The long-term solution is going to be, as you're doing, probably a podcast, really investing in your personal brand. Russell Brunson, no, not Russell Brunson. What's his name again? Gary Vaynerchuk, how can you forget his name? Every business should be 80% whatever it is they do for money and 20% media company, building your personality online. And I would say that's where to start. Now that can be online, it can be offline, but it boils down to relationships, person to person, but also at scale through things like Instagram and YouTube. Yeah, because to you know, strip away all the bells and whistles of this uh, you know, crazy digital world, it's, you know, there's still people underneath it. Everything as our friend Chris Tucker likes to say, is person to person. And I think that's a fantastic place to leave it. Bob, thank you very much for coming on. Um, if somebody wanted to get in contact with you, um, see what you do, where's the best place to, to, to connect with you and, and find out more? It's two places. Number one, if you are interested in the podcast, if you work in the creative space or the digital marketing space, go to bobgentle.com. You'll find the podcast there. If you want to visit my agency website, go to amplifyme.agency. And there it's really energy sector at any micro business. We'll find something halfway interesting there. Uh, and on social media, everywhere, I'm just at Bob Gentle. Fantastic. And, and yeah, we'll link that all in the show notes. And, and what's your podcast called, Bob? It's the Gravity Digital Marketing Podcast. So you can also probably find that by uh, searching in your uh, preferred platform of choice as well so um and i'll be watching the stats and waiting <laughs> fantastic well bob again yeah thank you very much for joining us um it's been a a great conversation and um all this left to say is bob happy fishing if you've enjoyed today's episode please help spread the word by telling a friend or simply subscribing and leaving an honest rating and review it not only helps the show, but it also helps other business owners find the podcast so they too can start to catch more clients. So thanks for listening and see you next time.